0: Avramada readers, uh, I'm Rat Naguna and I'm with Advaya Chitta yet again. I won't introduce him. Uh, I'm sure you know who he is now. Mm-hmm. We've done a series of interviews. Uh, I don't know how many we've done but uh, they're very enjoyable. I'm sure you've seen some of them. And today uh, we're talking about patterns of the past. Uh, this was uh, something that Advaya Chitta contacted me about. He wanted to talk about this. So um I don't exactly know what we're going to talk about today, but over to you to begin, Adelaide
1: I'm not sure exactly what we're going to talk about either, but but still, yes. Patterns of the Past, it was an idea that came to me for a variety of reasons, mainly about patterns that we need to recognise that harm us or interfere with our spiritual practice in some way the importance of coming to recognize them and to find ways of transcending them or transforming them yeah and i realized it was a very big topic and it, it might be worth exploring what those types of issues are first of all and and, and that in itself will probably take take um hours of discussion actually mm. um so there are there are patterns for example from our own childhood shall we shall we say that we bring with us into our adult life and those patterns can be well helpful or or harmful um, and i'm thinking particularly here of the harmful ones that come from say abuse we've experienced in childhood for example, um, that affect how we interact with other people, affect how we interact with ourselves, affect our emotional expression, what emotions we can feel. And the importance um, for people, not just people following the spiritual life, but people generally, of being able to recognize, if you like, the patterns in those um, from those childhood experiences that they bring with them in order to overcome them and live a, a sort of happier, more um, fulfilled, fulfilled life through doing so. But then I was thinking of there are all sorts of other patterns that um, we can encounter, things from the past in some way or another, not necessarily our past, but for example, our um, past as a species. Um, and here I'm thinking of a classic sort of legendary picture of the Buddha sitting under the Bodhi tree and Mara attacking him. Um, and Mara ta- attacks him, well, with his daughters, and if you like, his sort of aggressive forces. You know, what is that about? Well, it's about actually recognizing um, basic patterns in us: you know, sexuality and ag- aggression. And being able to transcend them as the Buddha did. Yeah? Um, so that's patterns from our own evolutionary history. But then there are patterns that come from our culture that influence how we see the world, how we interact with the world, how we respond to people. Um, and they can be very important too. And um, we don't necessarily know if we've, we've got them or where they come from even. And they might be patterns from, you know, a thousand years ago. Or, or more, that, that still influence our thinking, our feeling, our be our behaviours. Okay. So there are those patterns, and then there's basic patterns of our own, um, if you like, skillfulness and uns, unskillfulness, and the need to recognise them and in, improve the skillfulness. Yeah. Um, and even patterns from past lives. Um, I'm sort of very struck reading the work of, People like Ian Stevenson, Jim Tucker, um, about how people can bring ways of being, ways of responding to the world that actually come from a previous life. Even a, a trauma in a previous life can can affect them. Yeah, so there are all these sorts of patterns that um, I begin to think. Yes, we need we need at some point in in, in our spiritual life to. Be able to identify, and then to be able to actually work with, as I say, in order to transform them or transcend them.
0: Yeah, mm, that's quite a lot. Of, I, I have an image of um, patterns based on or meshing with other patterns. Meshing, oh, yeah. meshing, meshing. Yeah. So you're sort of caught in a. I have an idea of a 3D kind of patterns meshing on others and meshing on others, and then I'm also thinking of. Um, personality type patterns as well indeed yes
1: with those oh yes yes a lot and they interact and overlap and affect each other um in in various ways and the more i thought about it the more complex it seems it seems to get but it it actually i think is an important issue for helping people um to progress in in their spiritual lives in other words to overcome you know basic emotional patterns and ways of understanding people that actually inhibit their spiritual friendships, um, and inhibit their abilities to meditate or, you know, or, or practice skillfully. Yeah.
0: Mm. Yes.
1: Um, you say that uh,
0: certain patterns may inhibit spiritual friendships, but mm. I would imagine there's another side to that that may be the importance of spiritual friendship, One of the important aspects of it is that without spiritual friendship, you may not realize that there's a pattern or a number of patterns that are holding you back.
1: Oh, indeed. Indeed. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think spiritual friendship is a way of discovering such patterns. Yes. And then sort of hopefully working upon them. Yeah. Um, I think similar things happen in, in important relationships for people out, you know, not in the spiritual life, you know, sort of um, close friendships or or sexual relationships, the patterns arise in them and get in the way um, and can sort of ruin the relationship or stop it progressing uh, unless the people recognize it and and are able to, to, to work on the patterns. Yeah you know so i think it's a you know a very important issue gen generally for people
0: but when you look back at the ancient texts mm. um you don't really see any aspects of that it looks more simple you know oh, when yes. the buddha is teaching people or when miller is teaching people you you don't see any notice any reference to this the the, the extremely complex aspects of people's lives with all these patterns meshing on top of each other
1: it, it, you don't, although I think I'm trying to remember Millerapper's disciple, who sort of, you know, went off um, and away from him for a while because of actually, I think, because of you know, patterns he had that were inhibiting his progress. I think then they later sort of made, made connections again. I've forgotten his name now. Um, yeah, you tend. I think if if one sort of reads the texts it i think one gets a fairly simplified picture Um, i must remember lots of these things were you know passed down you know by word of mouth they weren't written down and if you have an oral tradition like that you have to simplify yes Uh, Mm-hmm. and so inevitably you 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 get um, simplified patterns or generalized patterns talked about um mm-hmm. and i think you know sort of one sort of um, generalized pattern is um the, the ten links the ten nidanas yeah or, or is it the 12 nidanas I mean, there are there are there are different different lists yeah and um You know, they tend to come down in standardised ways, although occasionally in the text you can find other versions or shorter versions or very specific versions of, for example, how Pratitya Samupada is working in very specific ways for an individual.
0: Yes.
1: You know, it's it's important to sort of, I think, understand that, you know, we have to unpack from the principles and, you know, learn through our practice what actually you have to do
0: do you think uh this is one of the values of the study group
1: oh indeed yes you know it it can help you know if you're studying well it can help you um, recognize certain patterns at, at least ways of thinking for example you know helping you overcome sort of views that you've adopted without even knowing you've adopted them um so study groups can help with that yeah
0: Mm. and um now that you have an overview of the different kinds of patterns uh i want to ask you why why is it that you wanted to talk about this now you know what what is it that's brought it to the boil as it were
1: um i just seeing how important it is for people sort of generally you know people's psychological issues, for example, but also cultural issues and how they get in the in the way. I, I think these days, I think cultural issues are very important. We're getting sort of strong um, orthodoxies, as it were, imposed upon us. And it's important to be able to recognize them and, and be able to, if you like, disentangle yourself from them. Mm. Mm. Give me an example um, well f- there can be i'll give you an example well this is a fairly specific example of thinking about power and people with power and how how that power can be misused okay now that's an important topic, and that people who are powerful might be people who are very wealthy, for example, or um, politically well connected or in a politically important position. It is a very important issue there, power, yeah, and it's misuse. But how we think about that can be coloured by particular ideological views that we've got, which might actually have a, a, a very long history. For example, You know, people with power who are, you know, have got lots of money. Okay, so one can immediately think, oh, they're capitalists. Yes, Mm -hmm. because they're people with lots of capital. But then that brings in particular ideological issues like Marxism. Yes, but then if you investigate Marxism, you find that its idea of capitalists um, actually is an extension of the ancient Christian idea of the money-lending Jews, yeah? So there's actually a cultural sort of meme that goes back centuries, which you're actually using um, and getting caught within, that, that actually affects how you think about that issue. You know, sort of, oh, you know, oh, it's the capitalist, it's their fault, so we got to can't have capitalism, we've got to have something else, have free markets, you've got to have a, a government in control. That's the type of simplistic thinking it leads to, rather than actually thinking out the issues without being caught in those, if you like, ancient memes, you know, with the prejudices and biases and the emotional attachments that go with them. Very important issues can be adversely affected by such fairly ancient assumptions that are actually built into us we don't even know we have them yeah.
0: yes so this is an interesting area where we don't even know we have certain yeah, views yeah. uh which brings in of course the uh the topic of un- the unconscious or the subconscious oh, yeah. and um mm-hmm. so a lot some of the if maybe a lot of these patterns maybe the majority of them are un- we, we're not conscious of having these patterns mm-hmm. um so is it really true that we're unconscious of some of our drives, or are we kind of conscious of them but we're unwilling to admit to them? Yes and no. <laughs> I think, <Yes> and no. <laughs> I, think
1: <laughs> I think sometimes we're just not aware of them. I think on other times we're partially aware and try to deal with them in some way, like you know, we try not to admit to them and try to understand them in a different way that lets us off the hook, for example. We, we have different ways of of defending ourselves against yeah. such, you know, half-conscious drives and things. Yeah. And it's important we, again, learn to recognize that we're doing that and find ways of j- just going for the truth yeah. rather than pretending you know, otherwise. that No, 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 I'm not telling myself lies here. This is true or something. Actually, I'm, you know, trying to... Um, protect myself here from something i'd rather not admit to i mean it it takes quite a lot of courage to do such things um, and to see one's own failings and it can be a lot easier to project your own failings onto someone else which i think is done a a lot in political circles yes somebody disagrees with you and therefore you project all the worst characteristics possible on that person you know, they're there're they are are they do not just disagree with you they're a baddie they can't possibly be any any good etc and at the same time you're actually behaving towards them in a very unpleasant and biased way yeah actually you're projecting your own negativity onto them yeah mm-hmm. I think that's very important these days I mean it's been very important in the past this sort of it's almost very primitive ability that we can have to project our stuff onto somebody else, mm-hmm. and I th- thinking about this and, and wondering, you know although this happens in politically now, is it actually one of those patterns from the past that go back to our you know biological ancestry? Mm-hmm. how did uh, hunter-gatherers behave a hundred thousand years ago or five hundred thousand years ago? And how does that affect how we are now? For example do we almost Im- immediately sort of divide the world into two groups us and them and project all the bad things on them yeah yes i was saying
0: to some friends the other day how easy it is to fall into that us and them oh yeah syndrome so yeah. you disagree with a person on something uh on an issue let's say a political issue and then the, it's so easy then to be against them, mm. and then the next step is against them and their type. Yeah, <laughs> and then it's my tribe against their tribe. It's so indeed. easy to do oh, that.
1: In, indeed, in, indeed. You know, I, I think it's it's human. Yes, yes. And uh, I, I, I more and more suspect that's something from you know our evolutionary history when you've got different groups that are actually competing for the same resources and actually where you're in your village asleep at night and nobody's guarding that the other group might well attack and seriously harm you you know um they were real issues yes and um, i suspect that uh, we evolve ways to think about them and deal with them and those ways are with us now yeah We don't necessarily—we're not necessarily aware of them, um, but out they come when somehow our tribal uh, conditioning, shall we call it, call it that, is um, is triggered in some in some way, because they they were real issues, and I think this also relates to issues of paranoia and mental health. Yeah. in terms of, um, you know, what what's paranoia? It's being over-frightened of other people. Um, but our ancestors would have a need to be frightened of other people because other people could invade and kill you. So it, it, it's no wonder that, you know, we've got that trait within us and need to recognize it. Yeah, mm-hmm. We need to be like the Buddha, you know under the bodhi tree recognizing we've got that aggressive you know, fearful response in us and not trying to pretend it's not there but to be able to connect it in some way transcend it or Mm. or transform it of course easier said than done
0: i remember in his book the closing of the american mind alan bloom made a, a point which i thought was very good which is Whenever you find yourself getting angry or irritated by someone's argument, it's a really good sign for you to look at what's going on. Oh, indeed. I wanted to go back to the unconscious again. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of my development, not only spiritual, but also as an adult, becoming more adult, has been owning up to my unconscious patterns. Oh, yeah and uh realizing who i really am and have yeah. been for a long time yeah. and um it seems to be true that ancient buddhist teachers there was no understanding of the unconscious as far as i could see the nearest uh, in in the buddhist teachings was the anusayas the latent tendencies mm. uh which is uh, kind of points to that but um what would you say to that? Is there any idea of the unconscious in the ancient Buddhist teachings?
1: Um, gosh, I haven't studied that issue for a long, long time. I mean, people, you know, 40-odd years ago were writing books comparing the the uh, Bu- Buddha's teaching with the ideas of the unconscious. Yeah? Were they indeed? Oh, yeah. And you could say, you know, that there are certain similarities, the Sangskaras, for example. Ah, oh. Yeah, as um, our underlying propensities. Yeah, Mm. sanskaras in in terms of the five skandhas. Um, And in in the sort of later tradition of Yogacara, the the store consciousness, for example, as as an unconscious. Of course, yeah. A form of of the unconscious. So Mm. it's sort of there. Um, in in some some way or another, um, not necessarily spoken of in the same way but but there yeah i 've always as i say i 've always taken Sankara as as meaning you know our tendencies, mm. you know, which we might not, very definitely not be aware of or mm. what 's going on with them, yeah. mm. especially if you 're very unmindful yeah. mm.
0: The other thing is that um, it suggests strongly to me that the spiritual path is not a straight one.
1: Absolutely mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's sort of it's a, a fairly windy path that goes over all sorts of terrain. Um, some, sometimes it's easy. it's a bit like walking down the middle of an empty motorway, perhaps. Um, Other ways it's a bit like walking on a, a piece of rope across, across a chasm. Uh, and you've got to know how to balance well in order to, to do it um i i think it, it is a it, it is complex yeah Ooh. um and a, a word that keeps dropping up for me more and more is complex and that Ooh. people are complex yeah i mean i thought that 40 years ago um but you know n- now i i go gosh we're far more complex than i originally thought yeah yeah And and so is the spiritual life, you know, it it can appear to be going along smoothly and and easily for people and developing qualities and then they encounter a pattern that they've got to deal with.
0: Yes. Talking of complexity, let's uh, talk about the opposite of that, utter simplicity. You (laughs) sent me a quote from Dilgo Kiense yesterday. Would you read that to us? What what the the, the, sh- the whole quote or the or well, however much you would
1: like to read us? Well, it, it's very long. Um, I'll re- I'll read the lot. Good. <laughs> okay. It's a beautiful beautiful quote. Indeed, yeah. So this is from Dilgo Kiense. The everyday practice of zogchen is simply to develop a completely carefree acceptance, an openness to all situations without limit. We should realize openness as the playground of our emotions and relate to people without artificiality, manipulation or strategy. We should experience everything totally, never withdrawing into ourselves as a marmot hides in its hole. This practice releases tremendous energy, which is usually constricted by the process of maintaining fixed reference points. Referentiality is the process by which we retreat from the direct experience of everyday life. Being present in the moment may initially trigger fear, but by welcoming the sensation of fear with complete openness, we cut through the barriers created by habitual emotional patterns. When we engage in the practice of discovering space, we should develop the feeling of opening ourselves out completely to the entire universe. We should open ourselves with absolute simplicity and nakedness of mind. This is the powerful and ordinary practice of dropping the mask of self-protection. Would you like me to continue? (laughs) We shouldn't make a division in our meditation between perception and field of perception. We shouldn't become like a cat watching a mouse. We should realize that the purpose of meditation is not to go deeply into ourselves or withdraw from the world, Practice should be free and non-conceptual, unconstrained by introspection and concentration. Vast, unoriginated, self-illuminous wisdom space is the ground of being, the beginning and the end of confusion. The presence of awareness in the primordial state has no bias toward enlightenment or non-enlightenment. This ground of being, which is known as pure original mind, is the source from which all phenomena arise. Is known as the Great Mother, as the womb of potentiality in which all things arise and dissolve in natural self perfectedness and absolute spontaneity. All aspects of phenomena are completely clear and lucid. The whole universe is open and unobstructed. Everything is mutually interpenetrating. Seeing all things as naked, clear, and free from obscurations, there is nothing to attain or realize. The nature of phenomena appears naturally and is naturally present in time-transcending awareness. Everything is naturally perfect, just as it is. All phenomena appear in their uniqueness as part of a continually changing pattern. These patterns are vibrant with meaning and significance at every moment, yet there is no significance to attach to such meanings beyond the moment in which they present themselves. This is the dance of the five elements, in which matter is a symbol of energy and energy a symbol of emptiness. We are a symbol of our own enlightenment. With no effort or practice whatsoever, liberation or enlightenment is already here. Mm. It's so liberating, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Of course, it it comes from the Dzogchen tradition. And Mm. in order to get to a place where you don't need to practice, you've you've got to have done an an awful lot of practice. You know, it's a a demanding tradition.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, Uh, but yes, that's true. Uh, but you know, we're, we're quite old now, aren't we? You know, I'm nearly 70. I expect you're a bit over that. Are you? No, no,
1: not quite. Not
0: quite. Gosh. Okay. So we're, (laughs) we're, we're pushing 70 and I've been thinking recently, well, I've got to take that into account. You know, what should my practice be now? You know? And, uh, it seems to me that that should be my practice for the past, (laughs) however long I've got. Um, you know, you have to take that into account, don't you? How long have I got? Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. And um uh, it reminded me, actually, of uh, Shinran's, some of Shinran's uh-huh. teachings. He talks uh-huh. about uh, Hakurai, which is the calculating mind, uh-huh. yeah. which is where you're calculating things for your own benefit. Mm. And the opposite of calculating mind is Jinen, which is naturalness, just uh-huh. pure naturalness. Yeah, and he yeah. says you can't really talk very much about naturalness because you turn it into its opposite when you <laughs> start talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but it, it does seem that, uh, mm. that beautiful quote was like the, uh, the opposite, the antithesis of this meshing of these different patterns.
1: Oh, indeed. Were caught yeah. In. In, Indeed. Yeah. So, and, um, it was, you know, that, that quote and reflecting on it most days that, um, help me recognise the importance of, if you like, negative patterns um, mm. in in so many different ways. They, they occur in various different ways, and we, ne- we need to drop them. We need to drop the referentiality. We need to drop the fixed reference points, yes. concepts, etc., that we hold on to without even knowing we are, you know, that influence our experience.
0: That's a That, that was a very interesting point he made about reference points Mm. which is slightly different from patterns isn't it Mm. but holding on to reference points is a very interesting idea that um that's your reference points you're holding on for them for dear life what
1: would be like if you let go yes oh well what it might be if you let it go is fear and you need to learn to to deal with fear but there he is talking about being open to to fear Yes. Um, I think that, that can be very, very important that um, at times we just need to let go. Um, mm. But our natural tendency is to hold on fast. Yeah. Mm. You know, I'm mm. talking my own experience here having to, you know, go back to the place where I held on fast um, in the past in order to be able to let go. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yes. it can be very, very frightening. Mm. Yes when
0: I was a young man, I think I must've been 21 years old. And my friend Papa Vajra was 18. uh, The weekend of our ordinations, uh, Bhante Sangarachita led us through the um, shepherd search for mind on the seminar, which was Dzogchen um, or Mahamudra actually. And uh, you know, we were, both new to buddhism but he led us through this text which is very much uh like that and uh you know now i'm thinking gosh were we ready for that
1: (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) yes well I, i look back on my own ordination process and realize well i encountered just such a fear um did you oh yes and, and and grabbed hold fast and its it was a, it was actually a very important teaching that you know I had to think later you know why did I experience the fear and why did I react to it by holding on fast to a particular belief or particular issue rather than just letting go and that was actually very important, and to recognize that that's something I do. But it's something that other people do as well. We can actually fear the good and the transcendental, shall we say? Mm. It can be so overwhelming. Yeah, shall we put it like that? Mm. Um, that we just back off. Yeah,
0: I can. I can. It's easy to see how the transcendental. We, we become frightened of the transcendental because it's a, a great. Um, uh, it's threatening to our sense of selfhood. Oh, yeah. But that's, that's... W- why do you think we fear the good?
1: Um, I suppose I was, I was saying fearing the good as, you know, the transcendental as the good. Yes. Mm. Ah, okay. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the profoundly good, shall we say, the, mm. know, the, mm. the, the transcendental. We fear it because it, it takes us beyond our ego, and mm. we're desperate to hold on to our ego. Mm. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if threatened, it feels great fear. Yes. Um, We have to learn to deal with that. Mm
0: -hmm. And uh, coming back to patterns then, you've got um, negative patterns, you said right at the beginning of the interview. You've got positive patterns, which, of course, help us to move towards the transcendental. But uh, you and I were talking yesterday evening about um, patterns of reality in a way or, or patterns out there which are part of reality. Yeah. Can you say a bit about that?
1: Well, just being able to experience the patterns say within your your sense experience I think is very important um to actually appreciate um what your experience is the sort of nature of it um even to you know experience what you're seeing I th- think it's it's very interesting often we just don't we look but we don't really see. I think spiritual life um, needs to teach us to see properly, as it were, without things getting in in the way. A bit like when somebody is learning to draw or still life or landscape or something. Um, They actually need to learn how to see what's there
0: Oh, and not
1: yeah. what's in their head mm. that they think is there. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's often we have these um, assumptions and beliefs sort of built in to us that stop us experiencing what is there. Mm. So, f- for example, one, um, it's a grey dull day and you go out for a walk on the moors yes um you know some people might think oh it's a dull gray day it's boring yeah Uh, i come out for the exercise but i don't enjoy this i'm
0: afraid i'm one of those people
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes whereas for somebody else who doesn't do that they just notice the incredible patterns of colors and shades that are around them and are changing them and as it were, the uniqueness of those those patterns and, and shades, you know, all those leaves, all all those different cloud patterns and colours, et etc., cetera, et cetera, you know, yes, and that can yes. be sort of wonderful to to experience, yeah. Rather Ooh. than oh gosh, this is just boring, <laughs> you know, it's grey, yes, yes. it's dull. Ugh. Yes,
0: yes, yes. Yeah. I must go for a walk with you sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Uh I've I've been listening to uh Olivia Messian's music recently <laughs> and specifically uh what one of the things Messian did was uh he used to go out into the countryside and uh annotate the bird song. <laughs> and then he would come back home and he would write music based on that bird song. Uh-huh. And I've been listening to a 20-minute piece for piano and orchestra where he didn't do anything with the annotations except transpose them for piano and orchestra Uh there's this beautiful piece um and it's just bird song for piano and orchestra Uh and it's absolutely gorgeous absolutely gorgeous and um uh it it gives the lie to the idea that you know um some people say that contemporary music which is um uh dissonant you know that people say well, that's unnatural you know people love um uh music which is harmonious. They don't like unharmonious music because it's unnatural. Well that's not true because the dawn chorus is completely dissonant. <laughs> you know, they're not the birds aren't singing in tune. And you can really hear that with this piece and it's really, really beautiful. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. So you know um what Messian is doing is showing us the beauty of this completely raucous cacophony.
1: It's uh, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to listen to that. I I don't think I've listened to any Messian at all ever.
0: Actually. Oh well, he's very mixed. It's mixed, but oh, right. um, yeah, uh, some of his pieces I absolutely love. Oh, yeah, right, and of right, course right. he was also uh, a very very devout Catholic, huh? and he was also um, what's the word for it? He he saw music. He saw it in colours.
1: Ah, uh, oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes. yes. But if you're thinking of sort of music that, you know, reflects natural world, the, the the piece that comes to mind for me, of course, is The Lark Ascending by Vaughan mm. Williams. Yes, you know. yes. Um, an absolutely gorgeous piece. It which is. I actually um, listened to at a concert very recently. And, yes, it, it sort of captures the flight of the birds, you know. Yeah. Um, but actually, if one... Stands there and just experiences. One can enjoy the flight of the birds, etc. Um, yes. When you're out on the moors on a grey day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so when you see the lark, uh, an actual lark ascending. Do you hear the
1: music <laughs> <laughs> if I want to <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> yes if i let let my mind sort of wander wander a bit you yes know, sort yes. of to the, the if you like the connections people have we
0: we've it, rather it, um strayed from our topic a little <laughs> i am just wondering whether uh if you uh, if you had decided to write an article about this issue, patterns of the past uh what would you how would you end it? What, what would the point you wanted to make? How would you end the article?
1: Gosh, um, that's a difficult question. Oh, by saying, how, yeah, by saying how By how, saying how important it is, mm. but um, how it, it's a subject that needs, you know, investigation and um, mutual in- investigation by, by practitioners to help each other do it through the process of recognizing such patterns and overcoming them um, you know helping each other with our individual experience you know to help others yeah i think it, i think it's, i think it's a, a you know a, a vast um, topic uh, but but a very important one
0: well as usual it's been really really good to talk to you Advaita. to thank you thank so you. much my pleasure <laughs> yeah thank
1: you Okay, bye. Bye -bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.